We are in part 21 of our First Corinthians series entitled Practical Faithfulness. And I titled this morning's message, Faithful to the Gospel. And I want to tell you how today is going to go. I want to be very straightforward with you and very clear. Basically, what's going to happen is I'm going to teach a little bit of an intro message. And then I'm going to uh, read through the passage. The passage we're going to study is very, very short. It's only 11 verses, very small. And it is about the gospel, just the good news of Jesus Christ, the simple message that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins that we might be free. And it conveys the love of God, right? So nothing uh, for some of us that's brand new. Some of us, it is brand new material. But when we get done with that, we are going to engage with that. And what that means is, is that if God has been working on your heart and you are here today because he whispered and said, I want you to come to my house and I want to talk to you for a second. If he has been working on your heart that you said, you know what, I don't even know about this Jesus stuff. I'm kind of here to figure it out. And you engage with that. Or if you are here and you need more of Christ in your life, we're going to have a time at the end of the service and we are going to clear, we've cleared out time and we're going to invite you up front to receive Jesus Christ, to be prayed for, whatever it is. So I don't want anyone going, wow, you know, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, he's trying to play off my emotions. No, actually I'm not. I am here to deliver to you and make you feel peaceful and comfortable to be able to say, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. What I find intriguing, however, is that between now and then, what God does in our hearts is amazing and magnificent. So I hand it off to you. It's between you and Jesus. It's not between you and me, but I want to share some of the greatest news. In fact, the greatest message that was ever given to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we begin with a couple ideas. We live in an age that is somewhat unprecedented in terms of how much access we have to what's going on around the world. In doing so, it has joined into our religious circles some very bizarre conversation. We have begun to look at our religious lives in terms of a salad bar. And basically, if you picture a buffet, right, that you go in there and a lot of people are attracted to Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times in America... When we have a Christian hangover here, where we kind of go, man, I, you know, I've heard a little bit about this Jesus thing. He died for me. Hey, I want a ticket to heaven. That sounds awesome, right? And so almost like at a buffet, you go and you scan a little bit and you look for the best stuff. Right? If it's a, if it's a seafood buffet, you go for the crab and lobster. If it's a prime rib buffet, you know where you're headed first, right? And then you kind of add everything else in. So you start out with a big chunk of Jesus, right? Put that on your plate and you're ready to go because you're American, right? So you're going to be about the, the Jesus thing. And you like him because he's a nice teacher and everything else. Well, what's bizarre is then when we engage with something we do not like, like it'll say, well, Jesus comes with a side of reality. Uh, a little bit about heaven and hell. Whoa, not too into the hell thing. You know what? I, I'm not really, I don't like that part. Uh, so, you know, what? I'm going to go ahead and pass. That's cool. Uh, and you slide your tray down and you go, what I'm really looking for is a little bit more niceness. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a little bit of New Age stuff, put a little bit of that on my plate, a little bit of Eastern religion stuff, maybe Nirvana, kind of throw that in there. And then we go, but you know what? What I really love is hardcore devotion. You know, it's, I'm hanging around a lot of these Christians, and they kind of pray. They're not really that into it. They're not super hardcore about their discipline. You know, I really love the discipline. I'll tell you, Islam's disciplined. Man, they got a call to prayer. They got specific times, and they are all in. I mean, if you want to talk about completely devoted, you know, I'm going to put a little bit of Islam on my plate, right? And you slide down, you go, but what I kind of want, everything seems to be so new, all these religions and denominations, it's all, I wish there was something that's a little bit more like stalwart where, you know, it's been around a long time, kind of universal. You know what? I'm going to grab a little Catholic. going to throw a little bit of, you know, drizzle that on the top, right? We assume that we can pick and choose our religion. You cannot. What you have done is you have insulted every religion along the way. And you have completely destroyed the fabric of what they are and what they stand for. When I talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is laid out in scripture, you can only tamper with it so much and it's no longer the gospel. It no longer saves. You do not get to pick and choose your gospel, your truth your good news, your religion, your faith. You do not select a faith based upon if it sounds good or if it works with you. You select it because it is right, because it is reality, because it is true. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, we cannot pick and choose our gospel. It doesn't work like that. And for some of us that would call ourselves Christians, we say that we are Christian and we do not adhere to the very core tenets of the gospel. We keep adding, it's I I really love Jesus and, no, it's no Jesus and, it is Jesus alone. And we have tampered with it and messed with it. Even within the church, we continue to try to play games with our doctrines and stretch this and I don't believe that, I want to add this. You cannot do that. How it's laid out in scripture, it must be. And if we say that we believe and we say that we are Christians, but do not believe and adhere to a biblical view of Christianity, we are not Christians. That's it. Doesn't matter what you say. You can say you're all kinds of things. I can say I'm a jackrabbit. People know that I have called me things that start with Jack, but it is not rabbit. Until I grow bigger ears than I already got, and I start learning to hop, I'm not a jackrabbit. I can talk all day long. You can call yourself a Christian all day long. If there is no evidence coming out in your life of transformation of the indwelling Holy Spirit within you, it's not legit. We can just say whatever we want. So what we need to do today is to reassess the gospel. 
There are some here today that have never heard this before. You've never heard how much Jesus loves you. You have no idea the extent that God has tried to communicate his incredible love for you. That he actually stares at you while you're sleeping. That he whispers to you and says, come to me. I love you so desperately. Stop walking away from me. Stop ignoring me. Stop trying to play your life yourself. I designed you that you would be with me. I designed you that we would talk, that we would do life together, that this is our adventure, not just yours. I designed you that when you go through troubles in this life, you can call and I would be there, that you never have to be alone again. I have sent my son to die that you would never die. Maybe you've never heard that. Some of us have heard that. And that great news has become old news. And we've moved on and said, yeah, 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 I know that. I got that stuff. Just because you know it doesn't make it real for you. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's in the New Testament. It's on the right-hand side of your Bible if you're visiting with us. And like I said, if you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. It's around page 961 or so. We're only going to go through these 11 verses. Paul is continuing on talking to the Corinthians, a church in Corinth, which we know is modern-day Greece. And he said this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children, as your creation, as your people. And we pray right now, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us. In a most powerful way, that you would break out through us, that you would convict our hearts, that you would show us your love, that you would lavish upon your grace upon us, that we might be able to see your face rightly, that we would hear your words clearly, that the scales would fall from our eyes and we could gaze into your loving eyes and fall in love with you once again. God, heal us, change us transform us. Lord, there are some of us that have walked in today with a mountain of weight of guilt and shame loaded upon us. 
Would you show us what is truth, what is right? Strip the pack off our back and throw it away. May none leave here, Lord, without having a personal relationship with you, without being rescued, without being saved. You have drawn them here for this day, for this purpose, right here, right now. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's zoom back to verse 1 and let's take a look at what we have here. Uh, the Bible is so intensely practical and, and in so many ways straightforward. I mean, are there, there nuggets of truth and stuff you got to dig out? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated in some ways. But really the heart of it is so straightforward and so real. He said, now I want to remind you, brothers. He's talking to a bunch of Christians and kind of a mixed group, kind of like this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He said, let's go back to the basics. Now, if you're anything like me, periodically, you need to come back to the basics of the gospel. Because you get too far out on a limb. You get a little bit out there. You get too caught up in what's going on in life, and life gets complicated. Every About every three years, God kind of has me melt down my life, go back to the basics, and rebuild from there. I have to always check my foundation. Is it secure? Is it right? Is it good? Is it healthy? Is it based on Scripture? Or somehow along the way, have I been caught up in other things and drifted? Am I not believing right things? Have lies come into my mind in some way that now I'm mixing my Christianity with something else? And so I got to go back to the basics. You know, there's a million analogies I could give you about the idea of building improperly on a foundation. And I'll probably cite one of the most famous for you. I was looking at my brother who's here. Uh, about six years ago, we were just talking about our trip to Italy. We had never gone on a trip together before. And as an adult man, we took off and we went to Italy for a little while. And, and when we were there, we ended up in Pisa, right? Famous place. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's what it's always known for. Do you realize that that is merely, for all practical purposes, the bell tower of a church? I mean, it's huge. Don't get me wrong. But if you look to the left... There's a church that dwarfs it. It's enormous. When they built that, it seemed pretty solid. But over time, the sheer weight began to sink. It was not founded strong enough. Ultimately, it was going to topple. They then had to dig down, actually straighten it a little bit, and lock it in. Because it was not going to survive. So, here's your simple analogy. Have the weight of your life pressed down on you. So significantly that when the storms of life hit, you found that you tend to bail out on Jesus. You tend to doubt. You tend to question. You tend to see very little evidence. You tend to do your own thing. It's far too easy for you to live on your own and you don't need God anymore. There's no interest in prayer, no interest in the word. And you begin to see, man, as the world pushes on me, my foundation is not as solid as I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was on the rock, but apparently it was on sand and now I'm starting to tilt. You got two choices. Either you can just wait it out and see what happens and ultimately it will fall over and we have to rebuild. Or you can do renovations. Those are really your only choices. Unfortunately, with renovations, you got to put up the caution tape. You got to dig down and it takes an extra amount of time and nobody wants to put in the effort. All right, your building will fall down. I'm just telling you. 
Because God will not allow you to remain with an unsafe foundation for too long. The world won't allow that. It will continue to crush you. All right. He said, so we got to remind you, I got to go back to the basics here. Are we founded on what is solid or somehow are we believing what's wrong? I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. He had already lived with them. He had already taught them for quite some time. This isn't new information to them. He's like, man, you guys know this stuff. You received that as factual, as right, as true. And now it is the truth, the reality in which you stand. It is your way of living. The gospel influences and informs every decision you make. Some things do not make sense. In light of the gospel. For example, if your friends say, hey man, we're going we're gonna to have this crazy time this next Halloween. We're, we're going we're gonna to invite a medium to come in and we're going to do a seance together. And we were just thinking maybe you'd want to join in with us because this is a blast. It gets super creepy and their stuff starts moving and all this stuff. The gospel influences that decision. If I have come from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and I am all about Christ... And the Bible informs me that we really only have three enemies in this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why would I play in the devil's backyard, and why would I invite him into my home and any demonic influence? My answer to that would be no. Make sense? The gospel influences all of our decisions. At least it should, if you truly believe it. It becomes the fabric of your reality. When you look out and you see things, you do not just see what the world sees, you see through that. You begin to realize, even though America became unstable recently, that you would look and you'd say, but my Jesus is on the throne. It doesn't matter, ultimately, who's in local power, who's in national power, who's in world power. It doesn't matter what nations rise up and what nations fall. It doesn't matter what happens in the Middle East, because Jesus Christ will ultimately determine, as the sovereign Lord, everything that will occur. If America needs to be reset again by going through another recession, guess who's on the throne? It's going to be Jesus. Guess what he can do? He can rescue and save his children. Are we going to go through hard times? Of course we are. But we're not abandoned. Your reality is different. You do not have to fear what the world fears. You do not have to see what the world sees. You do not have to trip over the obstacles that trip them up. You live a different life. I want to remind you, brothers, of this gospel. I preached it to you. You received it, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. What do you mean, by which you're being saved? Like this information we're talking about saves us? No. You are not saved by facts. You are saved by what it points to. It is a sign. For example, let's say fire breaks out in here, right? Apparently, this is a very unstable place. Fire blows up and it erupts out of here because apparently I was doing some stupid illustration with fire and it got out of control and it begins to blow up. You will be saved by the information to look for the exits, right? You look and you see the exit. When you see that sign, it is truth that leads you to freedom and rescue. Can we all 
Understand that? It's not that difficult. So we run towards that information and we follow the information and we are saved. It is not the exit sign that saves you. Oh, little exit sign, keep me safe, right? It's not, you know, now I'm not burning alive because I have the exit sign. That's, that's silly. It is the information you're reading, the information you are being given that points to freedom. Behind the truth of the gospel is that God has done something for you. That's actually what saves you. By which you are being saved, that's present tense. You know, I thought I was saved. Depends on what we're talking about. Some of you as Christians were saved when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And some of you are going to do that today. You are saved, but understand, we're still in a dangerous place. Our Lord is still running us out of danger. That's almost like when you grab everybody and we have a deliverer show up and he says, you guys run this way and we're all running. Well, I thought I was saved. Stop. You're being saved as he's rescuing you out. If you hold fast to the truth, I preach to you. If you tenaciously hold fast, what does that mean? Does that mean you've got to hang on to your salvation or you're going to lose it? No, it means make sure that you continue to understand that information is true and keep heading that direction. You can start out and go, I completely believe that's an exit. But when fire breaks out, you start doubting it and you run somewhere else. Don't run anywhere else. Maintain the fact that's an exit. Follow the sign. Get out of the building. That's the fact. Make sense? All right. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. He's very clear that some people make decisions for bad reasons. Some of us make emotional decisions or selfish decisions. Um, Do you understand that people come to Jesus for a variety of reasons? Um, We were reading some stories recently in scripture where people wanted to follow Jesus because they saw that he healed the sick. Well, who doesn't want to hang out with heal the sick guy? That's pretty awesome. Um, And then other people followed him because he gave them food. Who doesn't want to follow more food guy? Right? We like that guy. So people follow Jesus for a variety of reasons. Periodically, he would sift them by pushing something really difficult at them that would blow up their world, and only certain people would remain. Eventually, the disciples were there, and he goes, you guys want to take off too? What did they say? Lord, where are we going to go? You're all we got. We're not here because you give us nice things. We're here because you're the only answer. So what, are we going to walk somewhere else? That doesn't make sense. He said, right, that's bedrock. All right, let's start building. Let's go from here. All of us come to Jesus for different reasons. Hopefully, over time, your love is purified. For example, why did you marry your spouse? Some of you are married. Why did you marry? Is it because they had big, beautiful eyes? I'll tell you what. As soon as you're irritating, I don't care what color your eyes are. You understand what I'm saying? Over time, there better be something better than your eyes. There better be something behind those eyes, right? And so along the way... Along the way, it purified out. And the reason why I committed in marriage was not just because of the I thing. Far deeper than that, right? All right. In the same way, we start out with Jesus for a variety of reasons. We don't understand everything about him, but we have to start somewhere. Over time, it's purified. And over time, he'll periodically blow things up. Pick it up in verse 3. This is the core information. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
Paul had a personal interaction with Jesus where he revealed to him that he was legit, risen from the grave, and was calling him. Then, later on, he ended up meeting with the other apostles, and they filled him in on all the details and information. He said, I didn't make this stuff up. This isn't my idea. I didn't go out in the woods and have some crazy experience where I'm making up a new religion. This is straight up here. I'm just telling you what God told me, and it was very clear. It's been confirmed by all the guys. For I delivered you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It means primarily that he loved me so much that he couldn't bear the fact that I would ever die. And so he was willing to trade his life for mine. All of your garbage... For all of his purity. Let's switch. And that's what he did. That Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures. What scriptures? Can't be New Testament. He's still writing it. Old Testament. Does the Old Testament really say there's going to be a Messiah that's going to show up? Yes. Does it also say that the Messiah would suffer for us and die for the sins of the world? Yes, it does. Does it also say that he would be raised again? Yes, it does. Did it even mention anything about three days? It actually does. It's kind of the point of the Jonah story. Just know that if you put all the pieces together through the lenses of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament suddenly becomes incredibly evangelistic. Kind of weird. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. You know what it means when you're buried? It means you're dead. You're not kind of dead. You're really dead. You're all dead. That's why you're buried. Why do I say that? Because some yahoos along the way would kind of try to figure out some way why there's an empty tomb. Oh, maybe Jesus wasn't dead. Don't you think that somebody that wanted to shut Christianity down would have produced either a body or a dude? Don't you think they would have shut everything down? He's not there. He was dead. He's not dead anymore. But he was legitimately dead. That's the point. He died to take all the punishment that is due us. Do you understand that when we do wrong, when we do anything less than perfect, we are violating the almighty God. We are saying, you don't matter. It's all about me and I can do whatever I want. That selfishness pours into the face of God distaste. And we are at odds with God. But what Jesus did on the cross was say, Father, as they trust in me, as the kids come behind me, I'll take the hit. Let's go. Let's do this together. You take it. Bring it. Let's go. The father said, absolutely. And all the brunt and the ferocity of punishment, of everlasting torment of hell, smashed against Jesus. And he took it so you would never die. You going to get in behind him or are you going to go take it on your own? Right? That he was buried, that he was raised. That's passive. The father raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Of course, Jesus said, I can lay my life down. I can pick it up. But understand, he was raised. And what's interesting is the phrase is in the perfect tense, which means even though it happened in the past, it has ongoing implications. When Jesus died back then, it has massive influence today. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. You know those three days. Good Friday, he dies. Saturday, he's down. Easter Sunday, he's back up again. That's how it works. You know that. 
on the third day in accordance with scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. Who's that? Peter. Y'all know who Peter is, right? Everybody knows who Peter is. Peter is the loudmouth disciple. You know that. I mean, he's the guy that always says what everyone else is thinking and then some. Peter's the guy that got to walk on water too. Peter was in the inner circle. If you remember, there was Jesus had 12 guys that he was very close with for three years, but then he had an inner core. He had Peter and the brothers, James and John. Peter, James, and John made up the inner three, and they got to see all the coolest stuff. John was known as the beloved. He's the one that laid back against the chest of Jesus. Peter is the one who got to end up leading all the disciples and all the apostles. But what is he most famous for? He's the one that did what? He denied Christ. Picture this. Peter, who his best friend, his Lord and Savior, is Jesus. But when the heat came down, when he was questioned and he would have been put in prison, he panicked, bailed out. And says, I don't know that guy. He was asked again. I don't know that guy. Third time. It says he called down curses upon himself. And said, I swear to God, I don't don't know that guy. Right then, Jesus is being led across the courtyard. And he looks over and there's his best friend. And then it goes quiet. He's not even at the foot of the cross. The women are at the foot of the cross. John's at the foot of the cross. Where's Peter? I don't know. He's probably falling apart back in his apartment. What did I just do to my best friend? I couldn't even stand for one day. I was some days I'm so ready to die, but I couldn't do it that day. I just freaked out. All the guilt, all the shame falls upon him. And meanwhile, there goes his friend hanging on the cross, his Lord and Savior, and he dies and everything is silent. And he goes back to work. How do you think he felt? Then is it any wonder that when Jesus rose on the third day, he visited Peter? You know why they keep mentioning that? And as a matter of fact, a lot of the gospel points will say that. And he he visited Peter. He visited Peter. Why? Because no one else liked Peter. They all know what he did. And he looks at Peter and Peter just falls apart. Lord. Peter, we got this one. We're all right. Look. Look at me. Check it out. Check it out. Look. Oh, holes in my hands. Look at that. I'm eating fish. Ah. Falling in my beard. Look at that. We're cool. We're good. Come on, man. Get back up. We're all right. Let's go do this. I know. Lord, I'm so sorry. I know you are. The third time he visits Peter. Third time he visits Peter, he says, hey, man, let's go for a walk. You're not letting this thing go. Let's, we need to talk for a second. Lord, I'm so sorry. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. Let's just have a dialogue real quick. John, come here with me. You can hang out. Hold up. I need you to stay back there for a second. I just have to talk to Peter for a second. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Absolutely, Lord. I'm so stoked that you're back. I mean, this is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still freaking out about it. Okay, and take care of my kids. All right, you bet, Lord. Absolutely. Hey, Peter, you love me? Yep, totally do. You asked me like five seconds ago. Yes, sir. I'm all in. Ready to go. Yes. Feed my sheep. Take care of my kids. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you're bugging me. Stop it. You're, I get it. I denied you three times. I know. I know. Is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to bring that back up? 
Because every time you ask me if I love you, I already know that you know the answer to it. And when you ask me that, it makes me worry about myself. What are you trying to say? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. All right, leave my kids. Because you do realize that we're in this together, yeah? You do realize I haven't abandoned you. We're on our way. And you understand that I'm going to put you in charge, right? Why me? Well, because you're my man. Why wouldn't it be you? Because, Lord, you know what I did. Of course I know what you did. Anybody in your shoes would have done the same thing. All right. I'm not holding that against you. Can we move forward, please? Yes, sir. All right. Let's go. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Acts says that he visited them over a 40-day period, giving them many proofs. He needs them to understand this is legitimate. Because everything hangs on the resurrection. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Why is that important? Because anybody can have their own little experiences. But when you have 500 together, everybody can verify everybody else's experience. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Hey, you want to go ask them? Go ask them. They're right there. They'll tell you. They were at the event. They saw it all. You saw the risen Lord? Yep, sure did. What was it like? Weird. Well, like anything, I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? I mean, it was awesome. I mean, Jesus was there. Well, like, is that it? Yeah, that's it. All right. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Why does it highlight James? Who's James? One of the weird things in the Bible is that everybody seems to be named the same thing. All the guys are named James or John, and all the women are named Mary. You know that, right? Okay. There are three major James figures in the story. Two of them are disciples. James, the son of Alphaeus, known as James the Less. And then there was James the Greater. He was John's brother. Remember James and John? They were the sons of thunder. They're the guys that were just hardcore. They were the ones that are like, Lord, we'll just pray fire and burn everyone alive. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 that's, back up that carriage, buddy. We're not burning people alive. No, that's not what I meant. They were just hardcore. And James is always listed first. It's always James and John. It's never John and James. Why? James is older. James is the older brother. John was the younger brother. James was the first disciple to be martyred herod killed him early on god let james get killed but peter be freed and you go why because peter still had a different job to do but james went down is that the james here probably not most likely it is the third james the half-brother of jesus why is that so important Because ultimately, the half-brother of Jesus became the first bishop of Jerusalem, became the head of the Jerusalem church, became a pillar of the church, and was a huge deal when, in fact, six months before Jesus died, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He made fun of him and thought he was insane. His own brothers. Why James? There was actually four brothers named. Four brothers of Jesus named in the Bible. But James somehow highlighted out. Maybe he was the next one in line. I don't know. But he and the sisters, they didn't believe in Jesus. How hard is it to get saved when your brother's the Messiah? And so the whole time he's like, I don't buy any of this stuff. Oh, look at your little band of buddies. I get it. Oh, you're the Messiah. Whatever. 
When he comes back, he says, James, it's legit. Seriously? Yeah. Y'all in? Yes, sir. All right, let's do this. Let's go. I know you doubted me. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I had, boy, I was off. I'm so sorry in how I treated you. James, stop. Let's go. Let's do this. You take care of my church? All right. I'm out. You're in line. Let's go. Do you see the grace? One after another, after another, after another. And Paul says, hey, before we move forward, can I talk about me for a second? Last of all, as to one untimely born, meaning forced out of the womb, he appeared also to me. But my name wasn't Paul. My name was Saul. And if you want to talk about grace, let's talk about my life. I killed Christians for a living. I was the most hardcore religious fanatic, but I was on the wrong side of the line. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You know how humiliating that is? I'm all fired up. I'm doing everything for God. I'm literally picking up stones to throw at people. I'm giving my vote that they might die because they're into this Jesus thing. And I literally have to have God come to me and say, Saul, why are you hurting me? And I don't even recognize his voice. How is it possible to serve God and not know him? That was me. You know how embarrassing that is? I'm I'm going against him all the time. I'm hurting Jesus every day. He has to tap me on the shoulder and go, dude, turn around. Other way. Yeah. You think I don't wake up at night? You think all those memories are gone just because I'm saved? You think I don't remember all that? I don't remember the families I split up? I don't remember the dads I killed, the moms that I put into prison? What, you think that doesn't come back and haunt me? No, I get it. I'm not supposed to be an apostle. I know I'm not supposed to be forgiven. I get it. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm rescued. I'm saved. I'm clean. I'm purified in his sight. And I'm good to go. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not for nothing. On the contrary, I worked harder than all the apostles. More church plants, more persecutions, more hardships, more epistles. Though it wasn't I, I get it. God was through me and he was doing all those things. It was the grace of God within me. But whether it was me or it was those guys, whatever, we preached, you believed. All right, there's your story. Those are the facts. Let's engage with it. Jake, can you come on up here? Here's how it's going to go. You need that grace? You need to level set? Do you, not, do you not know the love? Do you understand that the cross of Jesus Christ means that you can be free? It means that he loves you so much that he's willing to forgive all your garbage in the past, all your garbage that's in your head right now, and all the garbage and stupidity you're going to do moving forward. 
It means that he wants to trade out that everything on your account goes on his and everything on his account, which is perfect, goes on yours. It means that it makes us right between us and God. It means he covers over and gets rid of all that garbage. It means he substitutes himself for us. It means that we now live in grace. We no longer have to play this. I got to do better. I got to do better. I got to do better. God doesn't like me. God, I got to perform. I got to stop it. No, you don't. When you invite Jesus into your life and you say, you're it, you're my everything. He runs the show. You don't have to try to be valuable to God. He likes you when you're sleeping. He likes you when you're doing nothing. And he has offered us eternal life. said, I don't want to be away from you for a moment. And I will not stand by while my children die. That's not going to happen on my watch. Trust me in this. Believe what I say to you. That I have paid the penalty, he says. That you might be whole and free and right and true. Would you let me into your life? Let's bring down the lights for a second. This is for focus. We get too distracted. Here it goes. This is you and Jesus all alone. You and Jesus. Some of you need this so desperately. You've been waiting and you know that God has been pressing and pressing and pressing and saying, my child, stop running from me. Turn around and look at me. Let me come in. Let me take over. I got this one. Be mine. No more distractions. No more sharing. Just you and me. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to walk up here and I want you to kneel at the front altar. Right now. Not in five minutes, right now. I want you to get in here. We're going to have people come and pray over you. I'm going to pray with you. You're not alone. I want you to kneel right here at the altar. Who else? There are a whole bunch of you. I know that. He did it all for you. The Bible says... That we have to come one by one. We're not allowed to go in because our spouse is Christian. We're not allowed to go to heaven because our friends are Christian. We're not allowed to go to heaven for anything else other than Jesus loves us so much that he died for us and we said, yes, Lord. Come on up here. Who else? Who else? I'll wait for you. Who else? So one by one, we will stand before Christ and he will say, do you love me? And we will have to answer, yes, Lord. Come on up. There's tons of room right over here. Who else? Right. And I know that for some of you, 
You can be over here, you can be right here, wherever you want. There's a bunch over here. And if you need to turn around and sit on the steps because of your knees, I totally get it. There's some of us that are going, man, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should. Guess what? You should. And you're going, well, I feel super uncomfortable. Stand up and come up here. All you have is people that love you in here. That's it. This is not a scary place. Jesus is here. And Jesus is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Who cares about everybody else? Don't let pride stop you. I'll give you one more minute. Come on up. Who else? You know because Jesus is tapping on your heart and your heart's pounding and you're nervous. Well, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, you do. You know. Come on. Come on. Jesus loves you so desperately. Because I cannot have my friends walk away without Jesus being their Jesus. That's why you're coming up here. This is your Jesus now. This is not anybody else's. This is your Jesus. Anybody else? Okay. I'm going to call it. Come on up. The sides are open. We got another one. I'll wait for you. This is about soaking in the love of God and letting him do what he does best. Rescue people. All right. I'm going to assume that everybody remaining seated is rescued and secure. Come on up here. Anybody else? Feel free. Tone, there's a bunch of space right here, too. Right here. Come on up. There's tons on either side. Tons of room on either side. We are going to cover you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to shield you. We're going to protect you. And we're going to hand you off to the greatest, most wonderful person ever. Jesus who loves you. All right. Here's what I need. While they are kneeling down, I need my prayer team. I need my leaders. If you are a leader in this church, I need you up here. I want you to lay your hands on them. I want you to come behind and back them up. And I'm going to pray for them. And when I pray for you guys, I'm going to pray. And you disagree with me. You disagree with me in this prayer. All right. I'm going to say some words. And as you mean them in your heart, you just pray them along quietly in your own heart. All the way across. We need tons over here as well in the middle. Come on up, leaders. We got some more. Anyone else coming up, Colin? All right. Okay. We got it? All right. Good. All right. Those that are kneeling at the altar and have come up here, you pray in your hearts along with me. Jesus Christ, save us. 
Save us, Lord, from who we are and what we have become. Lord, we need to be rescued. Lord, the world is beating up on us, and we are so alone, and we want you to take it all away. Lord, we need you to take care of our past. It's hounding us, and it's constantly coming into our minds. And like Saul, we feel like we've embarrassed you. We've ignored you. We've done what was wrong, and we're sorry for it. We repent of all that we've done. Lord, I know that even when we try to be good, it's not good enough. And what we've done, Lord, is try to handle everything ourselves. We've been so selfish and so lost in all these distractions that we have spurned your love. We haven't, we haven't responded as we should. Forgive us, Jesus. We invite you now, Christ, into our hearts, into our lives. Holy Spirit, come upon us and make us brand new. Allow us that when we rise up out of this posture before you, Lord, we rise up with brand new clothes on, with brand new spirits inside, with brand new hearts that have been fashioned by you. That Jesus rescue us and allow us to know that we are wrapped in your loving arms and that it is no longer us against you, but it is you with us and you will never abandon us. You will never walk away from us, that we will always have you, that we will never be alone ever again. Keep the enemy far away from us, shove him back. Rip off all that garbage, all that stuff that's trying to attach itself. Lord, free us from our addictions and our compulsions and our behaviors and our habits. Lord, set us free from the inside out. Dwell within us and begin to push all that garbage out. And we know, Lord, that we came to you for a variety of reasons. All we know is we need you. Save us and rescue us. We don't know all the answers. But we know we need you so desperately. Oh, Jesus, heal us today. That we may walk under your banner with our heads held high, proud to be a Christ follower. And we hang on to the hem of your robe and we want to go wherever you go. We want you to take control of the reins of our life. We now make our decisions based on you. We now can talk to you at any time for you are so infinitely near. Lord, don't let the enemy ever bring up our past against us again, for you have washed it away and made us clean. In Jesus' name. While they're still praying right here, here's what I want from you. If you are particularly beat up as a Christian today, or you're having a hard time, or you're stumbling in your walk, or you just feel distraught, significantly distraught, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come up here because we're going to intercede and the congregation is going to pray protection over you. If that is you, come up here. I know you're a believer. I know you're a Christian. I get it. You're just beat up. You're just tired. You're exhausted. Come up here and kneel down right behind everybody here. We're going to do something awesome. Come on up here. There's plenty of room on the sides as well. See if you can make your way over to the sides. Perfect. If you're tore up, you come up here. We'll, we'll defend you. This is not just on you. This is us as a family. We will back you up. We're about to go old school prayer meeting on everybody. Let's go. If you are sitting down, you are now an intercessor. You are now going to pray and agree with me to defend your brothers and sisters because the enemy has beat them up. They're exhausted. They're wiped out. Do not leave them alone. If you feel that you are mature in the faith 
and you can defend another. I want you to gather around on the outsides if you can fit. And I want you to lay your hands on everybody in the back. Everybody in the back here. You come up here and you lay your hands on them. They shouldn't be alone. Nobody should be without someone. Back them up. Lay your hands on them and pray for them. They're in the aisles. Make sure that you reach out and you touch them and you hang on to them. That's right, all over. We want this whole place full. Why? It's all about Jesus. The Bible says that if we are strong, we are to bear with the failings of the weak. We should not leave them alone. All right, praise the Lord. All right, you ready to go? Everyone sitting, you agree in prayer with me. Those of you coming up here, I want you to pray out loud for them. I want you to agree in prayer. I want you to intercede for them. All of us are going to pray. I got the mic. I'll pray loudest. You pray out loud. You ready to go? Let's do this. You intercede for him right now. All the rest of you agree with me. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that your children would be rescued. That, Lord, that you would take off the demonic attack, that you'd shove the enemy back. And, Lord, that you would encourage them. Father, that you would not allow their depression to take them over. That you would not allow their anxiety to dominate their spirit or their mind. That, Lord, that you would change us. That you would change our perspective, change our hearts. That, Lord, that you would hold us up, your words says that you would give us new spirits and stronger hearts that you would strengthen our legs and our arms and we would not fail and we would not fall over that lord would you grab us in the loving embrace and allow us to know that you care for us so deeply that you would allow us to know that you will hold us up when we are no longer strong enough to hold ourselves up father we come against the enemy in jesus name back off these folks That Satan, you have no presence here. You have no allowance here. You have no ability to harm Jesus' kids. They have been marked by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Demons, back off. In Jesus' name and by the blood of Jesus Christ, we ask that all, Christ, that you would cover us all. That you would protect us and heal us and hold us close. That you would reconcile our relationships. That you would heal our marriages. That you would restore our relationships with our children. That, Lord, that you would allow us to forgive the hatred that we have in our hearts and the bitterness. That you'd allow us to let go of the racism and the sexism and the terrible thoughts we have in our minds. Lord, that you'd free us from lust and difficulty and pornography and all the challenges that attack us. Lord, all the body image issues that we have, the bulimia, the anorexia, Lord, that you would set your children free. Lord, we pray right now that whatever has drawn them forward, whatever has hurt them in their hearts, that you would put your soothing balm of your Holy Spirit in every one of those areas would you massage our hearts would you heal us up in the deepest place would you make us right again may we leave here with all the strength and the fire and the power of the holy spirit holy spirit fall upon us in a mighty way gift us anoint us strengthen us for ministry that we might be able to march out as bold strong witnesses for you That, Lord, just as uh, 120 gathered in the upper room and your power fell upon them, we pray so now your power would fall upon us, Holy Spirit. God, strengthen our hearts. Even though we are so tired, Lord, you bring refreshment to our souls. You bring a, a liveliness, an optimism. A hope that pours in because we are not alone.
We are not abandoned. Our future is not bleak. Our future is bright because you're on the throne. We are not worried about our retirement. We are not worried about our future finances because Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh, the provider. You know what we need. You know how to handle it. And you're better at money management than we are. If we had the money now, Lord, we'd waste it. So, Lord, you're going to provide it at the right time, and you're going to take care of your kids. I believe that because it's in your word. Father, we don't need everything we want, but you know what we need. Oh, God, reconcile our hearts to yours. Heal us. In Jesus' name we pray.